Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the blessing of this day, this Lord's Day, a day set apart for us to worship You, to rest in the finished work of Christ. And so we, Your people, have gathered this Lord's Day, acknowledging that You are not only worthy to be worshipped, but You have created us to need it. And so we assemble as Your people, needy and dependent upon You, asking for Your blessing upon us. And we pray by Your Holy Spirit, that you would guide and direct not only our time in this class and working through the book of Proverbs, but also through the topic that we study today. So also using all of this to lead us and prepare us to worship you together as a family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I, I broke this uh, up into uh, topical studies, I think I had told you before that um, I didn't necessarily intend for it to go uh, to this many uh, different parts, but um, there's the Proverbs has a lot to say about these different topics, and, and, and hopefully I, I have showed you the interconnectedness between family and, and friends and neighbors. Uh, if not, oh well, it's a de- decent classification. Uh, but today we find ourselves on the last part of this topical study on neighbors. And what I have t- tried to do for the most part, is to keep our study of the Proverbs contained to the Proverbs. However, on this topic, I think that we need to pause uh, and draw from our Lord's teaching on the topic of neighbor. Uh, Because, interestingly enough, if you go to define what a neighbor is in the Proverbs you'll struggle. There there are not any verses that necessarily say this is what a neighbor is. Um, And so when we look at uh, Luke's recording of our Lord's interaction with the lawyer, it says that the lawyer seeking to justify himself asks a question. Um, But I don't think that it's a disfavorable question. I I legitimately think Most people don't know who their neighbor is. And so, when asking, who is my neighbor, how did the Lord respond to that? How did He answer that question? How did Jesus respond to the question of, who is my neighbor? He told a parable, didn't He? And what what was the parable? The Good Samaritan. And so he tells the, good, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and I'm, I'm not going to go in, in, into that or retell that parable because I would imagine that all of us know it. In fact, I would imagine all of us know it well. But at the conclusion of that parable, what does Jesus do? He asks the question back to the lawyer, doesn't he? And it's interesting the way that he asks that question. He asks, which of these three, meaning within the parable, the three people who came across the person who had been hurt and left for dead on the side of the road, Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, the way that he asks that question is remarkably fascinating, isn't it? What is he doing with that question? Not only drawing from the parable, but also doing what? 
he's showing that a neighbor is not by location, but by action. Which of these three do you think proved to be a a neighbor? The neighbor was not one by locale, but it was one by action. And the lawyer then is required to, by virtue of that question, to respond to that. And how does he respond? He says, the one who showed mercy to him. Jesus says, go and do likewise. It is a brilliant remarkable response to the lawyer's inquiry, but it also helps set a standard for us in terms of defining a neighbor. And so I ask you, by virtue of our Lord's teaching, who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really, it's, it's, it's everyone, isn't it? That's the, that's the point. But again, when we ask that question, we all stop and we think, we think in a, a locale perspective. We think in a time and space perspective. But what Jesus is teaching us is, is that we don't have to define neighbor by virtue of someone who is near or far, but rather by virtue of act and deed. Now, with that being said, and I know everybody's kind of looking at me like, you know, I'm going to think on that for a little while. While you're chewing on that, Let's dive into the Proverbs. Because I think by using our Lord's definition of who a neighbor is and our relation with that neighbor is going to help us. And the first thing that I want to start out with is how should we handle conflict with our neighbor? The point of that question is, it's a leading question, isn't it? The the, the, uh, implication is what? Yeah. But the implication, right, the implication is there will be conflict, right? We don't, we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a fallen world. We engage with sinners. And so is there going to be conflict with our neighbor? Promised. Guaranteed. Why? Because we are all fallen from grace. So the implication is there will be conflict. How are we to resolve it? How are we to resolve or how should we handle conflict uh, with our neighbor? Uh, the Proverbs, and I'm going to go into this in, in greater detail, but there's, there are a couple of Proverbs that deal very specifically with this. That You have it on the handout in front of you. Proverbs 25, 8 through 10. Do not hastily bring into court <clears throat> for what will you do in the end. Um, When your neighbor puts you to shame, argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. Now, there are actually a number of topics that are dealt with in those three different uh, verses. uh, And and we actually have already looked at this verse before and we may, in fact, weave it back in later. But in general, the idea in terms of our neighbor is what? could there be something that leads us into a legal uh, situation with our neighbor? Yes, 
for sure. The courts are here. Uh, the legal system is as designed by God, and our own manifestation to that within the culture in which we live is a good thing. But what should we seek to do first with our neighbor? Resolution. That's right. And so, so the idea is, is that before you get into a situation where you're in court with your neighbor, seek to resolve that as best you can. Is everything going to be resolved in this kind of arbitration or mediation? No. No, it's not. But it is, whenever possible, what we are to seek first because we are to be a people of peace. So, if showing mercy then characterizes a true neighbor, if seeking to, to, uh, to show mercy <clears throat> as Jesus has defined it characterizes a true neighbor, then what, do I, what I want to focus on is what characterizes a bad neighbor. And you see all these numbers here. That's, that's, I don't know if this is our longest. I'm going to guess that it is. I think this may be our longest list. As I was studying the Proverbs and looking at the topic of, of neighbor, I was overwhelmed with how many negative statements there are about uh, what, my, what we might describe as a bad neighbor. And <clears throat> these 12, as I have uh, organized them, are not in any particular order. So don't read them in terms of most important to least important or worst to, to best or whatever the case is, uh, but rather... I have uh, organized them in cor- according to the way that they show up in the Proverbs, starting from the beginning and moving to the end. So that's the only order uh, that I'm giving to these. And let's walk through these, <clears throat> and then we'll discuss them as we do. Proverbs six twenty-seven through 29. Can a man carry fire next to his chest, and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals, and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. All right, so there's two questions there. They're questions from life. It's sort of like, you know, who can hold their, their hand over a burning fire and not be burned? It's that, that kind of real life experience, right? So it's showing us that there's what? Cause and effect. There's cause, it's a, we live in a cause and effect world. Right? So there's cause and effect. And then it says, <clears throat> so is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. What does that mean? What, does that, what is a euphemistic expression? What's that mean? Not a good day in the neighborhood, right? Right? Yeah. 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 It certainly makes us think of in a locale perspective. And that's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with referring to my neighbor as someone who lives next door. Um, but yeah, that's right. That's right. So my question remains uh, who, what does this euphemistic expression mean? He who goes into his neighbor's wife. That's it. That's right. It, it's just a, it's a poetic way of saying that a man goes in to another man's wife and commit to another man's house and commits adultery with his wife. 
And so adultery is a form of being a bad neighbor. Now, we need to remember this. When Jesus was asked about what is the greatest commandment, He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter... The Shema is in Deuteronomy 6. And then following the Shema is what? The verse that Jesus quotes, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Later within Deuteronomy, then Jesus draws out a second verse which says, And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In that classification, we understand as Protestants that what Jesus was doing is He was summarizing the Ten Commandments. And so the first four commandments are categorized in the first and primary commandment. And the second six commandments then are summarized, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Included within the second six commandments is what? As pertinent to this, you shall not commit adultery, right? And so we need to think about that in terms of a bad neighbor, you could say, is someone who breaks the moral law. We don't typically think of it that way, do we? Number two, Proverbs 11.9. With his mouth, the godless man will destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. So it's the first clause there that we're focusing on in this verse. What does it mean, with his mouth, the godless man will destroy his neighbor? Yeah. Does he, does he really, like, destroy his neighbor? I mean, like, is his, his neighbor, like, obliterated by virtue of his words? Demeaning no. His Could be demeaning his character, right? True. That's right. I mean, yeah, we see in, in abuse cases where, where someone can be, can be so beat down to the point where uh, they, they do feel as if they've been destroyed, right? So it's a figurative, figurative term, right? Destroy. But the implications of that figurative term are widespread. It can be just as simple as demeaning someone, but it can go as far as literally tearing someone down to the point where they feel as if uh, they don't have a true existence. And so broad is the scope of this verbal abuse, but nevertheless, a bad neighbor is one who verbally abuses their neighbor. Number three, Proverbs eleven twelve. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Again, the first clause there, although the second is like it, uh, but the first part of, of that verse, belittle his neighbor. So now we're not talking about a figurative expression, but what does belittle mean? That's right, to, to disparage someone. To disparage someone. Could it be directly to their neighbor? Well, it could, but oftentimes someone who belittles his neighbor is done, I like to say, by the coward. The coward does what? Behind his back. That's right. That's right. Yeah, let, let, let someone belittle me to my face. It won't be a happy moment, 
but I'll take that over a coward who goes behind my back, right? But we all know what that means. We've experienced that before, probably, where someone has spoken about us behind their back in a belittling way. Uh, but the point is, is that when someone disparages another human being, what they're doing is, is well, they're not being a good neighbor, right? They're not loving their neighbor as themselves. Number four, Proverbs 14.21 Whoever despises his neighbor. Now let me just stop there. I do realize that at this point you may be thinking, John, you could have reduced your 12 to 10 because the verbally abusive part that, that, that you categorized in number three, or number two rather, we're now into two other words that are like it. But notice here, as we have moved from disparaging to hateful, what we're seeing is a specificity of being a bad neighbor. These are very specific characteristics. Verbal abuse is a general classification, but belittling is specific, and so also whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Again, the first clause is all we're focusing on at this point. The first part, that first clause, who despises his neighbor, what does it mean to despise? Yeah, to despise is to hate someone in your heart. So a neighbor is hateful. We could even add, that, add to that saying who is inwardly hateful, to despise a neighbor. Number five, a man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. All right, now, who is this person? Who is this person that entices his neighbor? The sly, the slick speaker? No. Who, who is this person? So it's, a, it's a violent person. It's confrontation. It's in your face to use that expression. So a man of violence entices his neighbor. What in the world could that mean? I mean, normally when I encounter someone of violence, I want to get away. Don't you? So how does a man of violence entice someone? That's right. That's exactly right. And, and we see this all the time in, in our, in our, our culture. We're, we're, we're someone who is an aggressive, and, and I've used the word here, brutish. Someone who is, who is a, 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 I call him the schoolyard bully. Everybody know the schoolyard bully? Right? Schoolyard, they're, they're brutish and, and they're, they're fiery and they're angry. And, and, and all of a sudden, when you're, if you're around them and, and, and you're a peacekeeper, and, and, and after a while, what happens? You're angry too, right? Well, yeah, I'd be excited about that too. I'm, 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 that makes me, I didn't know about it 30 seconds ago, but now that you're angry about it, I'm ready to storm the hill. I'm ready to take the. I started to say, take the capital. That's not a good expression to use. Uh, yeah, that's, that's off limits. I didn't mean that. Um, you storm the hill. You're, you're angry and, and, and you have been in... in I promise that was, that was not a lead-in to any kind of political statement. You're moving on. Um, yeah, speaking of brutes... Um, but, 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 but the person entices you by virtue of their anger and their excitement and, and they're, they're so upset that even though you think 
with a logical mind and a cool head, you think, well, that, that, that wouldn't pull me along. But it does. It wraps you in. It pulls you in. And it entices you. And then what's the next verb? Leads. The next verb is leads. All of a sudden, they're pursuing an angry fashion and who's right behind them? You. That's right. You're right behind them. So a man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. There's no figuratism to that. Not good is... Not good, right? <laughs> and so the idea is, is that to, to be a bad neighbor is someone who is brutish, someone who stirs up and entices their neighbor for a, for a fight. We might say for a good fight, right? <clears throat> yeah, it is. It is. And I, I think that the proverb shows us that our best move is to do what? Yeah, you said run, didn't you? Yeah, it is. That the Proverbs consistently tells us we're to flee the presence of the brute, to get, a, get away from it. Why? Because they're enticing and they're leading. And we don't want them to bring out the worst in us. And so the best thing that we can do... What's that? To run away... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not a good defense, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 swayed me into it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's good. All right. Number six. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. This is a, so I'll just nerd out for just a second. So the poetry of this proverb is, is particularly uh, cra- brilliantly crafted, I think. Note first, it is the soul of the wicked, the, the inner being, their internal person. This wicked person, we would say they're, they're wicked to the core. And what do they desire? What's, what's the pleasure of their heart? Evil. We, we used this expression before talking about someone who is bent on evil. It just seems like when they walk out of the door in the morning, if good's over here and evil's over here, they just seem to gravitate toward evil, right? And so this, this soul of the wicked desires evil. What does it say about his neighbor? His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. The po- poetic idea there, if the lies are the lamp of the soul... So see what the poet is doing here? He's he's using the soul of the wicked, and so the eyes are the lamp of the soul. And so looking through those eyes, meaning how they perceive life, how they look upon other people, how they engage with other people, the idea here is what? His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes, meaning? There'll be no mercy, will there? They, they, They are merciless to their neighbor. They're merciless to their neighbor. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were uh, proselytizers of evil. That's right. And James talks about it. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll mention it in my sermon today uh, that um, 
talking about for, for those of us who are, are in Christ and we know, know the truth, James says in chapter 2, I believe it is, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Uh, it's a beautiful expression to remember, especially as we look at the, the Proverbs and how are we to be toward our neighbor. A bad neighbor shows no mercy. James says a good neighbor does what? Yeah, mercy triumphs. That's right. Number seven, Proverbs 24, 28 through 29. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause. Okay, so pause there for just a second. What's the context of this proverb? What's the setting? Court of law. That's right. So be not a witness against your neighbor without cause. Is there a time where you would be a witness against your neighbor with cause? Yes. So without cause implies what? Yeah, deceitful or there's no merit to your testimony. So that sets the stage. Now read the rest of it. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. So it's the idea of reciprocity, isn't it? What's the picture that's painted for us? Vengeance. In a court of law, someone is susceptible and the person who's on the witness stand, stand, presumably you and me, we've decided today's the day. I am going to get back at that person for all they have done against me. And so I'm going to use my lips and my lips are going to weave a trap for this person. What's the idea here? A a bad neighbor is what? Is one who is vindictive. Vindictive. Did I spell that right on the handout? Yeah, I did. Okay, vindictive. Number eight, Proverbs 25, 17. Let your foot be seldom in your... I love this one. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, I, I laugh because we have an expression today of uh, somebody will say, well, you know that person's not socially aware. You know what that expression means, right? So Someone's not socially aware. It, it, it's, it's the, so, I'm now feeling like I'm the only socially aware person in here. No, I'm not. Uh, yeah, they, 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 that's right. You know, when Sydney and I were years ago working with college students and we were brave enough to have uh, college students come over to our house and we'd have like a Sunday school party and things like that. And we, we would, I mean, we, we, we would party late into the night, um, like 9.30, 9.45. And um, uh, I don't know, did we make it to 10? I'm not sure that we ever made it to 10. Sydney's getting ready to say that I would go to bed and she'd stay up with the college students. And that's true. I would go to bed, um, but uh, they, didn't, they didn't get the hint. And so the point is what? They weren't socially aware, right? So what's the idea here with let your foot, so the foot is a figurative expression in, in, in embodying what? The foot means you. You have stepped, so there's the, there's the poetic device of the foot. You have stepped into your neighbor's house. You have entered into your neighbor's domain and what is the problem? 
You do it too much and you're there way too long, right? So when the guy that owns the house goes to bed, it's time to go home, right? Lest he hates you. Well, I didn't hate any of them. But the idea here is that, and we can let this broaden beyond just our social interactions, the, the general idea is what? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, the idea there is that, that a, a, a bad neighbor is one who is imprudent. They, they don't know how to show, or maybe they know how to show, and they choose not to show prudence in their dealing with, with other people. And so there's a, there's a level, obviously, since we're talking about Proverbs, there's a level of wisdom to be applied here, right? Is that we are to, as good neighbors, exercise prudence. We're to think about things from a good judgment standpoint. Uh, and this, of course, requires uh, pushing aside selfishness and things of, of this nature. Number nine, Proverbs twenty-five, eighteen: A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Um, so there's three similes there. The three similes are a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. What's the picture that's painted? So what's a club do? A club bludgeons you. What's a sword do? A sword cuts you. What's an arrow do? Pierces you. And so now the simile has painted us a picture of what? Yeah, yeah, this is not good. We, we are in bad shape by virtue of the club, the sword, and then the arrow. And who is like that? Who is like that? The one who lies. Now... It uses the expression, bears false witness, which correlates with one of the Ten Commandments, right? You shall not bear false witness. What, uh, what, well, so bear false witness is the context, the courtroom context, so it would be a lying witness and, and that sort of thing. But as it is used here, a man who bears false witness, how? How is he like one who bludgeons, one who cuts, one who pierces? How is the one who lies like that? Or how, actually, let me back up and say, no, no, that's right, it is characterizing him specifically. A man who bears false witness. So how is the liar like a weapon? That's exactly right. I mean, I was reading an article just the other day, and it, this seems to be, I guess, coming up in the age of, of, of DNA analysis and things like this, of, of somebody that had been in prison for decades. And as it turns out that, I guess, DNA evidence had been done or something, and it turns out that that person was not guilty, and they had been in prison all that time, and then investigation further finds that someone had given false testimony. Ooh, yeah. And so the idea here is that, yeah, you talk about ruining someone's life, putting someone in prison for decades, all because of someone lying. That's an extreme example. But to a lesser degree, we see, as your point was, it hurts. It can hurt us. It can wound us. But it can also, going back to the metaphor of destruction, it can destroy someone's life. Yeah, 
Yeah, to lie about someone is, is, yeah, to destroy their character. That's a good point. It's a good example. Okay, number 10. I've got two Proverbs for you because I love both of these Proverbs, so I couldn't just consolidate it to one. <laughs> Proverbs 25, 20. Whoever, sing, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like the one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. The second proverb is, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Now, I'm going to take the second one first because I'm a morning person. Now, <laughs> like, now everybody that's a, not a morning person is laughing like, yeah, you. Yeah, you're that obnoxious, bubbly person that shows up in the mornings when I'm barely awake and I'll deal with you at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Right? Yeah, so the idea is what? On first of all, the loud voice, note here the, 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 the irony. This is, this is humor. You can laugh at this. There are parts of the Bible where you should chuckle. He, whoever blesses his neighbor. I mean, that's funny. Is he really blessing his neighbor? No. In whose perspective is he blessing his neighbor? His own, right? Yeah. So he thinks everything's great. He thinks that his neighbor is benefited by his joviality. He thinks his neighbor is blessed by his presence and his voice. And what's his neighbor think? Yeah, where's the club? Where's the sword? Where's the arrow? Right? <laughs> and then the first verse that we read, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. So there's two metaphors there. Uh, garment on a cold day, right? The idea is what? You're, you're, you're shivering. This is awful. This is so in, in, inappropriate. I'm suffering because of what you have done. And what happens when you put vinegar on soda? Bubbles up, right? So what's the idea? Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart, is this talking about singing? I mean, it could be, but that's not what he's talking about, is it? What does it mean, sing songs to a heavy heart? That is exactly, that's spot on. That's exactly right. If you, if you look at the examples uh, in pastoral counseling, for example, and, and people talking about how do you deal with someone who is going through uh, the grieving process. And I would, I'm, you know, just looking across the room, I'd imagine all of us have dealt with a certain amount of grief. Sometimes uh, it can be uh, incredibly heavy. But the last thing that that grieving person wants is what? Huh? Well, no, I think they, 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 they do. The last thing that they, they want... That's right. That's right. And that's our tendency, isn't it? You know, it's, it's we want to act as if it helps someone to act like it never happened. And the person to whom it happened says, it did. It, it, it happened. I'm grieving and the last thing that I need is someone to sing songs to my heavy heart. 
right? And so the idea that now we can broaden it outside of, of grieving to say that really what the proverb is talking about is being inconsiderate. Inconsiderate. Have we all been inconsiderate at some point in our life? Yes, we have. What is the best way for us, what is the wisest move for us to be considerate? Because we're all guilty of it. We've all done it. Yours truly a million times. What is the best way for us to be considerate? Based on these two verses. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, and to understand the situation. You remember all the way back to the beginning of Proverbs, and I talked about that Proverbs are not promises, but what Proverbs do is they teach us, and in fact, they require of us to understand the situation. Situational wisdom. And to be considerate is for someone to slow down, not rush in, not be impulsive, but to understand the situation. And we all know, we've been on both sides of this before. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and yet we wish they'd not spoken for six months, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and when they did, yeah. But that's right. I mean, to a certain extent, it was a respect for him and his suffering. That was a, for the uh, audio, uh, video version, uh, J.D. said that Job's friends didn't speak for a week. And uh, so the idea there is a, a consideration for those who are, are suffering. Number 11, Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor saying, ah, I'm only joking. Don't you love that? Like, you know this person, don't you? Right? So, so, so again, we're limited on time. But, but first of all, uh, the, 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 the metaphorical example is what? So, it's a madman. And what do we know about this madman? He has no, no discretion. He's just throwing firebrands at will. Meaning What? Anybody and everybody's going to get wounded. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter. He's crazy. And so he's throwing these, these fiery arrows at people. What's that like? Well, the writer of Proverbs says, well, it's like deception, but actually what is the means of this deception? It's very specific. I am only joking. Meaning what? Yeah, who's the problem? The one hurling the firebrands or you? I'm only joking. The problem, problem is, what, you, you, you can't handle this? No. My typical response is no. Next question, right? I mean, the idea here is, is that, that they're deceiving and everything revolves around them. They're pushing it off on you. I'm only joking. Don't worry about it. Can't you take a joke? No. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Sorry I offended you. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about your sorrow. I've got an hour, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, got to speed on. Number 12. 
Well, we keep seeing this show up, don't we? Woo! The writer of Proverbs does not, in fact, refers to it as an abomination, does not like flattery. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. What does it mean that flattery spreads a net for someone's feet? What's that mean? Yeah, and how is it? It is. It's a trap. How is flattery a trap? That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you see this, and you, 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 you'll see someone want to, to come along, and they want to encourage someone, and they think that the best way to encourage them to, to be able to, to, to build some sort of, 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 of connection is to do what? Lie to them, right? And so, you know, well, you're so, and this is so, and everything, and what happens? Do we want to believe flattering things about us? Yeah, they let their guard down, right? I mean, if, if someone comes up and starts bombarding you with flattering things about yourself, how many of you are going to go, <laughs> no, 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 no? No, most of us are like, maybe that's true. <laughs> Tell me more, right? Yeah, no, the idea is, is that we, we, in, we enjoy the flattery, and eventually, what does it do? It puts that person, our neighbor, in a box of lies to where they believe it and they think you're on your, their team. Is the flatterer on their team? No. No. No, they're like, in fact, last week we looked at they're like the enemy. The flatterer is the enemy of the other person. And so the idea is, is that to, be, to flatter someone is to be a bad neighbor, in fact, their enemy. All right, so how do we show love? In closing, how do we show love to our neighbor? Well, you can pause there for just a second, and I would refer you up to all 12 of these examples. Just put them in reverse, right? When, when, we are, when we're speaking the truth, and we're standing for truth, and we're not flattering someone... That's a way to show love. When we are not deceiving, but we are protecting and we are showing the best interest of someone. When we show consideration for someone regarding to their situation. When we tell the truth and don't lie. When we understand the context and practice prudence. When we are not vindictive, but we are merciful. When we show, and show mercy. When we're not the brute, but we're the servant. When we love instead of hate. When we speak the truth in love rather than disparage. When we... <clears throat> Show would be the opposite of a verbal abuse, loving someone in language, when we uh, exercise fidelity. All of these are ways that we show love to our neighbor. And so you could take each one of these in reverse. But the Proverbs speaks specifically uh, about uh, two areas I want to draw to your attention. Proverbs 3, 27 and 29. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is your power to do it, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I'll give, I will give it. When you have it with you, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. The idea is what? When it's in your power to do good, what should you do? Do good. That's right. And then number two, Proverbs 12, 26 one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. 
And so the second thing that I, I'm, I draw out here is we can show good to our neighbor by leading by example. And I think this is something to encourage also among our children, our grandchildren. One of the best ways that you can demonstrate good to someone else is to set the right example, to be the good example, to be the, the, the moral example, we might say. All right, we're out of time. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, we do desire to love our neighbor as ourself, as our Lord has commanded us. And yet, so often, we see ourselves on the other side of that. And so we ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would use us to show love to our neighbor. We ask that your Holy Spirit would use what we have studied today and would speak to our hearts and convicting us in areas where we may truly show love to our neighbor as you have called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.